Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Dynasty as they want to be a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Oh my god, hello. (laughs) Why are you so excited? Uh, Well, I mean, we're on season two and I'm excited to just keep slogging through this. Yes, we've got new opening credits. We've got new cast Uh, members. I have problems with the opening credits on this season. Why? What's wrong? Well, I don't like what happened to Pamela Sue Martin. Uh, I don't like what happened to Pamela Bellwood. I don't like that they shortened the theme or even watered it down and took some of the uh, instrumentation out of the background. I don't, it's just, you know, but it's fine. Like, look, we're watching dynasty. So whatever, we'll, we'll move past it. I like that. It's more glamorous, but you are right. Some of the people seem a little silly. Well, I don't like Pamela Sue Martin is, is like doing that fake take like, Oh, you've caught me putting on jewelry in my dressing room. Like, what is that? Like, (laughs) I don't understand that. And then like Pamela Bellwood, like who was doing this like amazing, you know, Grecian goddess looking over the Colorado river or what was maybe supposed to be the Colorado river. Now she's just like turning on a light in some random room. I don't know. It's not the dramatics that I've come to know and love from the first season. Well, Al Corley ripping his tie off is certainly dramatic. I I think he's ripping his tie off to get ready for some gay sex. Yeah, that's dramatic. Gay sex is always very dramatic. So I don't you know. know maybe in someone's world, maybe that makes up for the other sins that I just mentioned. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to like change things up, right? And now we've got Joan Collins on the scene. Yeah, well, and hers is pretty great. She's smoking a cigarette with one of them long cigarette holders. You would never be caught dead doing that today. But yeah, I think they, they just like shot these specifically for the title cards. Yeah, so that's these are a little not, different. Yeah, these are not like little candid moments from, you know, uh, shooting on set. These were specifically made for title cards yeah and they're still driving around that like five-year-old lincoln limo they they haven't updated it yet but okay i mean the other thing that's new other than the opening credits is uh we're recording on a new dining table that we <laughs> just purchased that we're 
shockingly in love with. I can't believe how much happiness a lacquer white dining table is bringing us now. I'm not I'm not into dining table talk. Sorry, I don't really like have like a big take on that. Like anyway, let's take a break and get into this week's episode. Enter Alexis. Welcome back. So we're still in this damn courtroom, but at least this time Joan Collins is on the stand and it's actually her. And she starts her testimony wearing... Are you sure? Is it really? uh, Well, after she takes her veil and her sunglasses off, it's really her. Would you state your full name, please? Alexis Morell Carrington. And your residence? I've been living in Acapulco for the past several years. You were the first wife of the defendant, Blake Carrington. You're the mother of his children, is that correct? Yes, it is. And subsequently, of course, you were divorced. Yes. When was this? 16 years ago. Was it what you might term an amicable divorce, Mrs. Carrington? No, it wasn't. It was what you might term an enforced divorce. I just, it made me laugh so much because I just can't imagine anybody on a stand in any court in America being allowed to have a veil. Yeah, that's not going to make it through TSA. (laughs) But yeah, and. I was really surprised that she starts with this kind of crazy exposition about why she's been away. I didn't expect this really sad story. No, I'm not. Her character is totally randomized. So, like, they have to, like, catch everybody up on, like, where the hell she came from and what she's doing here in the courtroom right now. And I'm with Crystal. Like, this gives me a headache. I'm leaving. Yeah, but before that, she explains to everybody that there's this guy, Roger Grimes, that she was having an affair with, and then Blake beat him with a candlestick and I guess made him disabled or something, and she got paid off, and she's been getting 250 k a year from a trust. And- I don't know. That's all just sort of like ruddy side story. That's not really like what's happening, though. I mean... It's really just like watching Joan Collins enter the scene and now there's this mother figure who's actually going to compete with Blake Carrington who's been like the big sky god this whole time and like she's like no screw all y'all like I got so much more to do than Blake Carrington ever did and I like that you know she's totally identifying with Stephen Carrington and Fallon is like taking sides with daddy because that's so predictable and that's what she does. And that's really like her whole purpose here in this, in this episode, I think. Yeah. I'm not really sure what her testimony is supposed to signify. I guess it's just more of the thing about this episode is like, this is like where the Pollocks took over or whatever, like the Shapiro's kind of like took a step back and, and Aaron Spelling or somebody or uh, the studio, who the hell knows, decided like, we need to like step up our game and the Pollocks, I don't know, were brought in. I don't know where what their heritage is, where they come from. But the the writing is not as intriguing as the first season. But that's fine, you know. We'll we'll move on. And uh, I don't know this this whole episode is not really delivering any courtroom intrigue to me at all. The way the prior two episodes from the last season were, yeah. And I, I I treat it all as like kind of light and airy. I don't think you have to really like pay attention to what's going on in a in a detailed way in this episode because I don't think the writing is really there. I think it's it's more about the performances and introducing this character. 
you know, and the way that she's interacting with her, uh, you know, estranged son and daughter. Yeah, as you said, right away, we see where the lines are drawn. Stephen is kind of excited that his mom's back in the picture, and Fallon is totally livid about it. And Pamela Sue Martin just goes from zero to 60 with her disdain in, in her acting against Joan Collins. It's kind of like... It, it, well, I guess it's, she's to just me, been it's, it's a little seething. bit like uh, Electra syndrome or whatever, Electra complex or something, you know, like the, the daughter resents the mother, uh, which is sort of the opposite of what you usually get, you know? Um, and in here you have the, the mother uh, and the son who are having like a, a strong relationship. So it's a little bit of reverse of what you typically get. Uh, and, and again, you know, it's, it's part of like some of the interesting things the show was trying to do in the beginning and uh i i I like that you know fallon and her mother like are totally at odds may i testify to this you're even more beautiful and more ugly than that grand english lady i vaguely remember and whom i've tried very hard to forget existed these past 16 years i'm glad to see that your father had your teeth fixed if not your tongue no way are they going to get along. Yeah, and Alexis even kind of explains that to Stephen at the weirdest sidewalk cafe ever that just so happens to be right outside of Denver Carrington Oil headquarters. And AKA. just so happens to use the same yellow umbrellas from the pool and tennis courts at the Carrington Mansion. Yeah, can we talk about the continuity in this episode? Did nobody really give a shit that we're starting out mere seconds from where the first season ended and now fallon has bangs jeff colby has a much (laughs) long that's the saddest part of the did you notice that like jeff colby sorry call back to the titles like he's just like lazily pouring champagne he's such a house husband like he's just totally married into the carrington money and just just gets to hang out and pour champagne all day that's what his title card is you know it tracks because like I love all of those scenes when he's having like meals at the Carrington mansion. It just seems like he's so happy to have. Oh, he's a such a mooch. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, so he, yeah, his hair is long. Um, Fallon's, Fallon's got, got bangs. bangs. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's hair is like a little bit longer. And I think is crystal even wearing the same outfit. I She's like- totally wearing the same, which I guess that was to your point about continuity. They were trying to like maintain some, but it's like, I don't know when did this air probably several weeks after the end of the Months. prior season. Yeah. So like, would anybody really care? But well, I mean, of course Jones like still wearing that illusion suit, you know, with the black and white. So I, I don't know. There's, there's some continuity there, I guess. I don't know. It felt really jarring to me. Also like half of the courtroom is now like reporters apparently. Whereas in previous episodes, it was just, you mm, know, well, the gallery media circus, even, even Fallon calls out like, you know, we're like at the Coliseum, which I, which I like that, you know, like we're, we're not in the Athenian forum. We're in the Roman circus, you know? Yeah. So. But yeah, uh, Alexis even explains that Stephen is his mother's son and Fallon is her father's daughter. And it's always been that way. Well, there's there's a big exploration here and, you know, motherhood, uh, but in a very sophisticated turn. It's not your typical 
mother child relationship. Uh, it's also, it's also part of her general character, which is everybody from season one is, you know, very sort of identifiably just American, uh, for lack of a better description. And she comes in and she's like, got this sort of like Euro vibe. Uh, should I say Euro trash vibe? And, so she's automatically very different from everything else that's going on with the characters on this show. And, you know, she's got the British accent and she's, I don't know, was she been like slumming at Monaco or I don't know where she'd been all this time. And she's got very clear taste that is unlike everything else going on, uh, right down to her clothes. Yeah. The things that she eats and drinks and, uh, and she's an artist, which I was artist, surprised. Right? Yeah, they really drive home this point that quote unquote she had a a studio for painting at the Carrington Mansion when she was there, and she even presents Stephen with a portrait of him uh, when he was five or six. Whenever she ditched him, which I'm pretty sure is probably just done by that same hack that did the courtroom sketches. <laughs> it's, it's all in that like RGB Crayola crayons look, you know. But it was definitely better than the courtroom sketches. But uh, but yeah, did I you notice that that sketch? By the way, uh, he was sort of. Uh, colored in to look a little bit like blake i, I don't know if you saw yeah, that no you know? when she when they first started opening it i did think wait why is she presenting steven a picture of blake and then when they tilted up and you could see the coloring and then she explains oh it's a view it's six-year-old Stephen oh, i tried to get you to stand still and i was like okay it's well that was actually kind of a, a an interesting moment right because it's sort of like as matronly or as motherly as perhaps Joan Collins will ever really be on this show. And it's in the very beginning. So I don't know if they just kind of like decided like she needs to be this other thing, or if this was just that one bright moment with her son. Uh, but yeah, like this is as close as they get, you know? I mean, I think they were like at lunch later um, and they, they kind of have some dialogue, but like that was like her only really like nostalgic moment with her son as a child that you see in, in the, in the mm, writing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's interesting because after this, she just kind of turns into a power bitch and, you know, it's, it's kind of a whole different, uh, uh, dynamic at that point. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we definitely get a few power bitch moments with her already straight out the gate. I mean, she kind of comes for Fallon when she's not receptive to her return. And then outside of the courtroom, she kind of corners Blake and, um, has a little tete-a-tete with him. But Blake is protecting her. There's something mysterious going on here. And I don't appreciate the fact that they're kind of hitting this over the head with this. Yeah. It's all this like clandestine language like, I didn't want you to reveal that secret and that lie I would never tell. And it's like, oh, is this how we're going to play the drama now in the second season? We're just going to talk about yeah, things in it's, mysterious it's tones. kind of lazy writing, honestly. But, totally. But I, I, I think they're just jumping into the second season. And so there's a little less concern for the finer points. And there's a little more just about presenting Joan Collins and sort of creating those new relationships with her daughter and son. I don't know. I love a good crystal feels sick moment. This is what she does. This is like her trademark. I got to go home and take a nap because this is too much for me. It's, it's like, she's such a passive character, you know, and you compare that to Joan Collins, who's already introduced as this very strong, opinionated, segregated taste kind of woman, you know. I don't give a 
fuck that Crystal Carrington was sick or left the courtroom. And about half of this episode is spent on either her leaving or feeling sick or laying down for a nap or Fallon coming for her and bitching about it over and oh, over and over again. Oh, that was supposed to be a dramatic moment. And I will say this is bad directing. I was like, uh, this is not dramatic at all. This is a little bit silly. But, you know, Pamela Sue Martin, I think, just did what she could do with it. But, you know, Fallon's yelling at Crystal and Crystal's like doing her demure i don't know it's just it's all just like yeah very... the pacing felt really <laughs> off because normally she's in the right zone with this character but for some reason she was just screaming like the whole episode maybe pamela sue martin like didn't have a great vacation between seasons but she's just coming in so hot this whole episode she's screaming and yelling at her mom and then she's screaming and yelling at crystal over like things that I think are really minor and dumb. And I don't know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit concerned because I was so into that character and her yeah. point of view. And I felt like well, she was very revolutionary. Defensive daddy stuff is really taking her down. Yeah. Well, not really standing up for her brother. And now she's taking issues unnecessarily. So I don't know. At least her outfits are still great. I don't know. I, I'm losing it for Fallon. I really am. Even the scene with like Crystal and Joseph, like it doesn't even seem like they have the uh, the usual energy that they normally have. Like you know, like she gets out of their Mercedes and there's like a, a quick exchange, but it's it just seems like their hearts are not into it. So I'm I'm not feeling. Yeah, and Lee Bajer is a fucking cast member now, so he needs to be bringing that bitchy major ness that we started getting into in the first season. Joseph, you knew Alexis Carrington when she was here, didn't you? I mean, you worked for her when... I was employed by her. Yes, I knew her. Oh, if you're wondering whether what she said about Mr. Carrington today is true. Well, <laughs> I'm not under sworn oath here. And, uh... It's hardly my style to discuss anything concerning Mr. Carrington with... Outsiders? Why don't you just say it? I mean, I think it's really weird that Crystal is, like, rattled to her core about all of this. Did she not have a conversation with Blake about his previous wife, about the mother of his children? She well, just seems rule so... rule number one of being a second wife is uh, get the goods on the ex, you know? Yeah, well, she failed to do her due diligence clearly because now she's, like, spiraling. And by spiraling, you mean languishing in a kimono in her pita tear at the Carrington Mansion? Right, which also the Carrington Mansion, what little of it we did glimpse this episode, looks very different than the first season. It really does. They just spiced up the chinoiserie and like, I don't know, they, they went to Ashley Furniture and picked up some new goods or something. Yeah, they definitely put some more contemporary. And by contemporary, I mean like 80s marble statues mm, and yeah. tufted overstuffed ivory upholstered modular sectional furniture it's, yeah the yeah. carrington mansion of the first season was very kind of downton abbey regal victorian edwardian sort of vibe and right then it kind of like transitions into like your grandma's miami condo <laughs> yeah there's something definitely off about the additions and then they painted the dining room did you notice that i didn't actually what did they paint it blue <laughs> <laughs> what was it before light gray white 
<laughs> I think one thing that like annoys me about the clothes in this episode is, you know, to your point about continuity and Crystal wearing that same outfit, I really did not like that outfit. And I have to see it again for a whole nother episode or most of a whole nother episode. Finally, in this court case, it seems like Blake is realizing he's on trial, even though this has been going on for ostensibly weeks. But he's really afraid that episode sort of ends with him saying, oh my gosh, if I come back, I might not come back. And it's like, bro, you didn't think about this this whole time when you got arrested, when you were in the jail, when you've been sitting there through all of these testimonies and the opening statements and the judge, you're just now realizing that you could be locked away. Well, I don't know. Did, did you really think it was caught that off guard? I mean, I feel like he's such a so laissez-faire about all of this. Like, there's either an assumption he's going to get off or it'll just cost some money, but it won't really be any impedance to, you know, him acting as a capitalist, greedist pig, you know? Well, I, yeah, possibly. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a hung jury because uh, both Jake Dunham, Brian frickin' Dennehy, and um, Andy Laird's closing arguments were terrible. Yeah, pretty bad. I mean, we didn't even get like a, uh, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit moment. It was just kind of, it was just all all very screaming sum- and yelling. Yeah. yeah. Brian Dennehy, I don't think he wanted to come back for this or something because he was just phoning it in. And it was kind of night and day versus last season for me when he was delivering some gravitas to the performance. But here he's just... Well, I think he'd used it all up and he was like preparing for uh, Belly of an Architect, a great Peter Greenaway film that was Mm. about to be shot. So he didn't have time for this anymore. What's Andy Laird's excuse? (laughs) (laughs) I I think Andy Laird kind of like wore himself out as a character too. I I don't know. There's there's just like, there's just a, a general tonal issue Uh, yeah it's it's um lethargy there's a general lethargy in this in this episode and it's only relieved when when jones on the scene Mm -hmm. uh so i will give it that like you know like they're they're properly spotlighting their new star uh or would-be star i don't i don't know that they knew that she was gonna be as big as she was going to be but uh, at this point, anyway, like she's kind of bringing the only sunshine because the rest of this episode's a little like, oh god, another courtroom scene. The seeds are already there though because she's got some great quips, she's got some bitchiness, and she's got some fashion too. So I was really surprised at how evolved that she already is, even though this is her first appearance and she's only in you know a handful of scenes, most of them either in a courtroom or with Stephen Carrington. Well, rightfully, they're not trying to spoil us for her, so you don't get a ton of Joan Collins, but then, you know, uh, Alexis does say to Stephen at lunch, you know, uh, and he's talking about he's not really a man, and why don't you tell my father that? And she's like, well, you've loved somebody. That makes you a man, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, you would loved another man. So, you know, it's, it's obviously a very evolved position. Uh, but again, she, you know, she's sort of billed as like a sort of Euro trash, so... Maybe that's how they excuse all of this. Like, she's the fun, sophisticated mother character, but she's not really like the rest of, you know, these people. Man, try that on my father someday. Oh, I know. You and your friend. You mustn't be ashamed, Stephen. I'm not. I'm lucky. It was very special for a while. You loved him? Yes, very much. Well... 
that doesn't make you any less a man. Uh, but we do have, uh, you know, Claudia at the hospital. And again, I, is this like, I don't know, did John Forsyth tell the writers he wanted them to like thaw his character out a bit? Because yeah, why is he showing up in her hospital room and saying like, call me if you need anything? Like, I feel so bad. I didn't, I wasn't the one who made the decision to put you on the stand. And, you know, she's of course like, I don't want anything to do with you, but... I don't know. It's it's an interesting twist on this character, and I didn't like it at first in the prior, you know, like when he was like saying, don't put her on the stand. And now that he's coming to see her in the hospital, it's like, well, now that I'm seeing it a second or third time, I'm starting to question like, well, are they doing something with this, with this character, with him? And where is his motivation? I still don't understand the motivation. I actually liked that, that whole sequence a lot with, with him and her. I don't know. I, because we haven't really seen them together, it's a c- interesting dynamic, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think the two of them have actually had a conversation together. This is sort of like maybe when, very uh, briefly. Alan and Matthew party. had that conversation in the back of the limo in mm-hmm. that one episode. It was like, when did they ever? Speak yeah, how do you even know this, who you know? each other so are? This is kind of the same thing. Like, like when did Blake and Claudia ever have a conversation? When, when would they ever have an opportunity to? And like, this is like kind of odd. Like she's in the hospital, you know, like it's like the last place you would think. But uh, anyways, it's very Dostoevsky. It's like, just like how upside down and chaotic life really is. And sometimes there is no reason. Maybe he just has a, a thing where he wants to exonerate her for no other good reason, you know? But I do love that the writers use this opportunity to totally have Matthew Blaisdell along with his daughter, just split while what Claudia. Doctor, what doctor tells you that when you right. wake no, up? That's what in I was going to say. And then <laughs> this so messed this, up. This <laughs> hot young actor gets all of these like important lines to deliver. To I'm Pamela not supposed Bellwood. to tell you. I don't want to tell you, but. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. Your um, husband took your daughter away and you will never see them again. Anyway, if this means that we never have to see Lindsay Blaisdell again, then I'm fine to put up with this weird doctor telling Claudia that her family just up and left, which is even more heartbreaking because remember, Claudia wanted to leave and she thought this would solve all the problems and Matthew said no. Yeah, yeah. And now it's reversed and they left her because of the problems that she caused. Yeah. It's all kind of like ironic and nihilistic. And, and, uh, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's melodramatic in a way that you haven't quite seen before. Yeah. And made all the more melodramatic when the doctor orders some morphine to chill (laughs) her. Shut this crazy woman up. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of like that a little bit because we get a glimpse of this sort of maybe nurse ratchet one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of vibe that we never really did get to see with Claudia Blaisdell. It was only kind of referenced in passing, you know, with the bats and the people yeah, calling so on the in phone. In a way, we get a retrospective on her insane days. Yeah, a little yeah. a little glimpse into her medical background. Yeah, I guess that means they're gone and... and and that means Walter Lankersham is gone too, I guess. Well, he's been gone. I mean, I just think it's funny that he was like in the title cards all the way through the first season, but he was like suspiciously absent for the last four or five episodes. Hey, look, he fucked some prostitutes and danced a jig and he was done. Well, no, apparently the thing with uh, Dale Robertson, I, I guess, was that they, he didn't like that they were introducing all these like sex topics on the show. And so I, I think he just kind of like wanted to move on and got written out of the show. I don't remember the whole backstory. Of course, like he's like later on Dallas. 
I think the same like same year or the next season. Oh, weird. Uh, so he he just sort of like two timed like everything back then. Apparently, well, it is definitely weird that after all of that, we're left with Claudia. Well, it's it's out with the old and in with the new. You know, I mean, even Claudia in some ways is going to be a new character. Uh, she will evolve at least. She will relate to who she was. But yeah, like even she's going to change now that she's gone to the hospital. And wait, does that mean she woke up with amnesia? <laughs> it's not that bad. I was kind of hoping. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and you see Blake is like, oh, he's like softening for whatever reason. We still don't know. Well, the weirdest part about that whole thing is that Blake goes to see her in the hospital and Steven doesn't. Like, he just hangs out with his mom over brunch the whole episode. Like, Well, I, I think Steven knows better, and uh, I think he's also decided he's done sleeping with women for the time being, at least. So that's why he's going to hang out with his mom instead of Claudia. And Alexis Carrington, as we could have probably imagined, is very gay-friendly. She has a few lines where she's totally fine with Steven's homosexuality well again i think this is why she's presented sort of as like an outsider as as european or whatever you know because that's sort of like a a way to excuse the fact that she's got these very progressive viewpoints that yeah if would not align with love is progressive with, with reaganistic politics of the time and also she's a mother but she's not a mom if that makes any sense you know like she's She's very much a strong woman who is the mother of Steven, but she's she's dressed in like a tailor-made suit and a hat and a freaking veil. Like uh, I, I I have to like think that even at that time period that look would have been a little bit extreme. Oh, for hell yeah. Downtown Denver, you know, even even for nighttime soap opera, but Anyway, so, you know, and she, and she smokes, like, uh, the luxury cigarettes, and she's drinking champagne and eating caviar. Of course, you're not getting into all of that just yet, but she's definitely not, like, your typical mom. Mm-mm. She's your mom. And again, I like to compare and contrast her to Crystal, who's also not really a mom because no she's way. the second wife, you know? She's, like, the stepmother, if even, because these children are adults at this point. I would not trust Crystal with my baby. But I'm, like, wondering, She's like, too fragile. What was Blake doing back in the day that he met you know, Alexis Carrington or Alexis, whatever she was back then. Cause she's well, a he very traveled. different woman from, from crystal. Oh yeah. Well, because he was traveling a lot. That was part of her whole backstory. And that's why she started fucking this guy, Roger Grimes, who, who got hit in the head with the candlestick in the bedroom. Yeah. Which I, I don't know how well I received that. Like, would she really screw a guy named Roger Grimes? Uh, that just sounds like she has too much taste to like, do it with a guy with that name. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just, and I, I think he was like a lawyer or something. So what, how, how do you pass the bar with a name like Roger crimes? Very grimy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a great start. Not really, but it's a start to the second season. And I think there's a, there's, there's stuff to go on here. I, it's fine. You know, there was, there was some updates. I think maybe my expectations were just so high because Joan was coming in. And I just wanted more. 
but I felt like Joan was bringing it and everybody else was kind of resting on their laurels and just operating at a weird level. So hopefully the well, pacing kind of sorts itself out as we go through the if, second season. If you just look at, you know, the clothes, it's the same problem. Well, let's take a break you know? and we'll get to the clothes. How about that? Let me change into something more comfortable. All right, Kyler, I know you've been wanting to talk about clothes the whole episode because it's kind of the most interesting thing, but what was your look of the week this week? Well, I, there is no real look of the week. I, I, Oh, I don't agree with that. Okay, well, I, I'm just going to identify um, Joan and this, this like crazy halter top mm-hmm. number. Yeah, that was my look of the week, too, and it was so jarring because most of the episode she's wearing her iconic entering the courtroom veil and hat and the whole thing and then cut to having a brandy with their son at his apartment with tall ceilings so much goddamn and high windows fucking show. and she's got this fucking brazilian blowout her tits hanging out in the halter top that's all shiny and sparkling. She's got well, all of this crazy like stainless steel. It's, yeah, it's very of the late 70s to me. It's interesting that she was in this great tailored illusion suit. And then she goes from that to the hairdo and the halter top here. But I think this still seems like something that you'd wear like on the town going to Scandals or some other discotheque at well, I think- night. Everybody 80s. else is sort of like wearing, you know, JCPenney catalog. Uh, and she's very outre. And then you get to this look, which is, I don't know, it's like from one of those like downtown alley stores or something. I don't know. It's, so it's like, I don't, I don't, it's an interesting juxtaposition, I suppose, for the character. You know, referring to the, like the disco look, like this is like my introduction to Joan Collins. I mean, I think... Everybody kind of has their own entryway to Joan Collins. For me, it was The Bitch, uh, which is a, a disco picture, uh, if ever there were. And based on the novel by her sister, by her Jackie, sister Collins. Jackie. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I think there was another one called The Stud. I don't think it's nearly as good, although she does have, like, she's on a swing in a pool. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But. But The Bitch, to me, is actually kind of a, a fun, high-camp movie. And The Bitch and The Stud were before Dynasty. Well before. And they were, like, from 78, 79 in that period. So, like, I think in some ways Aaron Spelling was turned off to having her on the show for that reason. That, yeah, because she has her tits out in that well, movie. Well, you know, and she was just not considered stuff. a serious actress, which if you go a few years before those pictures, like, she was doing... Just sort of these, like, uh, I don't know, like the milkmaid or, you know, like these very, like, poorly Somerset mom characters uh, in sort of serious B movies from, Mm -hmm. you know, British production. And she was always recognized as, like, a really pretty woman uh, that was kind of a decent actress, but nobody ever really was on to her in the way that we became on to her once she was on Dynasty. And so, like, I don't know, like, I I was was just watching, uh, if anybody even remembers, like, encore which is like this random cable station that probably doesn't exist anymore and they were playing the bitch and i have no idea why i was just like settling into this movie of all things and and i'm like oh my god i totally understand why people are into joan collins now but you know she has like a two separate followings one is the original following which was like 
horny old men in in the UK mm-hmm. that thought she was like a little sex kitten. And then there's like, you know, obviously the gay dudes and the Americans who like see her as like, you know, Alexis Carrington on Dynasty and this fabulous woman who wore all these great clothes and was just such a power woman and, and a, you know, a bitch with great taste, you know? So it's like interesting, like to sort of find your way into Joan Collins. Cause I had no idea until I had seen that film and here she is. She's kind of reminding me of that, but you know, before she's just got the hat and the hair pulled back and it's a tailored suit and it's like, it's definitely Joan Collins, but not the same Joan Collins that I've, yeah it is kind of a great zenith because she did that sort of schlocky disco-y stuff and then she did you know the more traditional bbc british fair and here she's kind of combining all of that into this milfy character sort of but i actually feel really bad for her character because in a weird way genuinely wants to be a mother but she's also not prepared for it and, you know, she does these things like she brings presents to Stephen and she tries to talk to her children at the courtroom. And But yet she's also been kind of absent this whole time and she's been paid off. And, oh, yeah. I'm not sure what the truth is. I don't yeah, necessarily so it's, it's hard. totally like, believe something this. sympathetic about it, but it's also like, well, you know, but you kind of made your own bed there, you know. So uh, it's it's interesting because she represents this woman who is very proto-feminist and went out and struck her own. And in a weird way, she's kind of paying for it because she couldn't be the mother to these two children. So I, there, there's just so much to explore with this character. And I just think the the disco halter top is just, just the tip of that iceberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely... I mean, imagine, actually, like, if you haven't seen your mother in, like, 16 years, <laughs> she comes over with, like tits a flying and like a polyester silk halter top like i don't know it's it's a little inappropriate in some way but well look she came to testify at the murder trial of my gay dead lover so sure wear a halter top that night like anything well, goes but again at this point. she doesn't say gay dead lover she says you just loved somebody right yeah that's no, no different that still makes you a man you know so but yeah, obviously, we've got to give the look of the week to Joan because, yeah, everything else was boring. But boring, sadly, boring, it's boring. not like a great look. It's just, it's, oh, an, I it's another it. one of these, like, it's an interesting look, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. No, I would love to wear that wig. God, her hair was amazing. Must have probably spent 10 hours getting it blown out like that. Was like a that. Wig? No, that's just what, like, you call hair, okay? Oh, I, I, I don't know the lingo. I'm not in the biz. <laughs> Well, that's another episode of Dynasty as They Want to Be. Kyler, are you excited for the second season of both the show and uh, the podcast? God, I'm so excited. Do you remember a lot about this season or has it is it foggy in your brain? I, I remember a lot of Joan painting pictures in her studio. That's, that's okay. what I remember. All right. <laughs> so. I'll watch that. Joan Bob Ross and it out. Well, if you're new, make sure you subscribe. We come out every week. We put out on Thursdays. And you can follow along with us on social media. We're at Nasty, N-A-S-T-Y, podcast on all the places, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Nasty podcast because we're nasty. And also, Dynasty is like a sports term now. So that's why all of those handles are taken. So follow along with us or just go to our website, nastypodcast.com. 
See you next week. Do we do it? <laughs> when we talk about the second episode of the second season. Second time's a charm. The verdict. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.